Okay, good morning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you be with me and you be with all of us as we look into your word and that your spirit might touch us. So last week, we looked at Advent as a time of waiting. And this week, we'll be looking at it as a time to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And that's what John the Baptist was all about, preparing the way. Even as a baby born six months before his cousin Jesus, his miraculous birth prepared for the even more miraculous birth of Jesus. But it's John's vocation as an adult that was entirely devoted to preparing the people to receive their Messiah, their King. And we learn this from all four Gospels. All four Gospels talk about John the Baptist and about what we heard this morning, prepare the way for the Lord. So it must be important. My youth corresponded with the rise of the hippies. They all highlight the path, uh, um, I'm sorry, the rise of the hippies in the Jesus movement. My generation was dissatisfied with what we perceived as the empty materialism of our parents' generation. And I think we had, we were right on, but look what we've come to. Anyway, we were distrustful of the establishment. We were looking for authenticity, something radical and worth living for. Many of us found Jesus at this time. And this John the Baptist guy, what a character for us to admire. Young, 30 years old, fiery and fearless, a bit wild, lean and mean and tanned in the desert sun, with long hair and a beard. He wore rough clothes and he had a weird diet of grasshoppers and wild honey with bee stings on his arms. And he was out there preaching in the desert. There was nothing soft or sold out about John the Baptist, nothing compromised. He was radical, the real thing. His vocation was to prepare the way of the Lord, which meant calling people to a massive repentance, ordinary people, religious people, but also very unreligious people like tax collectors and soldiers. He takes every sinner who sincerely repents. On the other hand, he's not afraid to call out hypocrisy in religious leaders. He calls them a brood of vipers, which means a nest of snakes. He even calls out the king himself, and that gets him thrown into prison. And eventually, he will lose his head. So John is out in the wilderness preaching and drawing huge crowds from a vast region. Many had to walk 
a full day in the heat. So we know John was baptizing down on the, in the Jordan River, and they came from Jerusalem. And it is eight to nine hours walk in the desert sun. And I'm telling you, I could barely do 15 minutes in that sun. But they come, they come anyway. So why did he preach in the desert? Why not in the city where there was shade and the people were already? I don't know. But I know that there had to be something real going on because people went to him. In spite of the distance, the heat, the inconvenience. Because politically, the first century was a very unstable time. People were alert and on the qui vive all the time for some looking for some way out of this oppression. What was the special witness of John's gospel regarding this singular character? So what we have to understand is John the Baptist is not the same John as John who wrote the gospel. So it gets confusing, John, John, John. How does this man baptizing in the wilderness fit into the thrust of the gospel of John? The gospel of John is about bearing witness to the word. And you remember in that monumental prologue, we're talking about all these big concepts, the word, light, darkness, the light, the, the light, the, the life. And then all of a sudden in verse six, there was a man sent from God, his name was John. He's the first human, apart from Jesus, who comes into the Gospel of John. The same came to bear witness to the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, he was sent to bear witness to that light. We see a pattern that the gospel writer adopts. He was not Y, he was X. We see a similar pattern, not Y, but X, when the delegation from the Jewish establishment in Jerusalem comes to check the Baptist out. They were priests and temple assistants called Levites who interrogate him which is what we have in our reading today. In Luke's gospel, I'm sorry, jumping to another gospel, we read that all different kinds of people were coming to John, repenting of their sins, asking for baptism. Then they ask him, what do we do now? How do we live this out? What does it mean for me to repent? He gives advice to all kinds of odd types, soldiers, tax collectors, anyone who asked. But the delegation mentioned in John's gospel is very different. They're not asking, what does repentance mean for me? They're asking him to justify his actions. Tell them what he is about. What right does he have to baptize? Who does he think he is? 
identify himself. Okay. Who are you? He came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. Well then, who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say for yourself? Well, maybe my reading, but it feels a little aggressive, no? Now, it was kind of normal that the establishment in Jerusalem check out what was going on. I don't blame them, because John's preaching and baptizing had become a phenomenon. All kinds of people were streaming to him. It was only responsible of them to investigate. But I sense that they are not really open to who John is. And they are not honestly asking. They just want to put him into a category that won't upset their agenda. So why these particular questions about the Messiah and Elijah and the prophet? Now there's a puzzle coming, so pay attention. I'm going to do it in a little bit different order. First, we'll start with the Messiah. Okay, so you see here, the prophet Samuel is pouring oil over the young David, 10 years before he becomes king. But this ceremony shows that God has chosen David for king. And this will give David courage in all the difficulty he'll have after that. So the Messiah comes from Meshwa, that means chosen and anointed. And we have in Greek, Christos, which means Christ. So for nearly a century, the Romans have been ruling in Israel and people are longing for freedom from this pagan empire. It is a time when many are expecting the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, chosen by God, a descendant of King David, to free his people as he did the slaves from Egypt under Moses. Now it seems that messiahs popped up regularly, but they were soon crushed by Rome that had no patience for this kind of thing. John is convinced that he is not the messiah because his vocation is preparing for the messiah. John knew about his miraculous birth. He must have heard about the prophecies his father had received concerning him, that he would prepare the way for the Lord. Here we have the prophecy, part of uh, Zachariah's prayer over little John, who was eight days old. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation 
through forgiveness of their sins. Now, the prophet. We just saw that from Zechariah's prophecy over John, that he would be called the prophet of the Most High. People were looking for the prophet. Now, this is mainly based on Moses' words in Deuteronomy 18.15. So that goes back a long way. The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me, like Moses, from among your brothers. You must listen to him. So there was this idea that a figure like Moses, a savior figure, would lead the people to freedom and give them God's instruction, like the law that Moses received. These ideas about the prophet tend to merge with the idea of the Messiah. Now we'll look at the tricky part, Elijah. Who's that? Elijah was a prophet in the last days of the Northern Kingdom, that's 875 to 850 BC. So almost a thousand years before Christ. This prophet was famous for standing up to the prophets of Baal. There were 400, it was a showdown, 400 to one. And guess who won? King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, they all wanted to kill him. He was fiery and fearless, wore rough clothes, lived in the wilderness, and bravely spoke truth to power. Sound familiar? He was also famous because he didn't die, but was taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire. You hear in this picture, Sunday school picture, guys, you see um, him throwing his mantle down to Elisha, the prophet who would take up his, his calling. And for this reason, because he didn't die, people thought he would come back. So they're wondering, is this Elijah? Now the prophet Malachi, here we're getting lots of prophets here. The prophet Malachi wrote a book. It's the very last book in the Old Testament. So go to the very last book, the very last paragraph, and this is what you will have. Look. I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Hmm. Now we look at the angel Gabriel appeared to the old priest, Zachariah. Who was Zachariah? John's father. John's father, who was married to his old mother, who was long past the time of childbearing. And the angel said, your wife Elizabeth, 
will give you a son and you are to name him John. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go as a forerunner before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and to the and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord a people prepared for him. Do you see the puzzle about John the Baptist and Elijah? The angel in Luke makes the connection between the two. But here in John's gospel, the Baptist says, no, I'm not Elijah. Now, listen to a conversation, it's not on the slide, between Jesus and his disciples sometime later recorded in Matthew. Then his disciples asked him, why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, but he wasn't recognized. And they chose to abuse him. And in the same way, they will also make the Son of Man suffer. Then the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. So we have the puzzle. John the Baptist says he's not Elijah, but the prophecies and Jesus himself seem to say he is. So what does John say about himself? John answers the religious interrogators by quoting Isaiah 40. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Yes. Clear the, the way for the Lord's coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. John answered them. I baptize you with water. Among you stands one whom you do not recognize. Oh, there's that word recognize again. Only now he's talking about you don't recognize Jesus. And Jesus said they did not recognize John. Clear, um, who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. John's vocation, his calling was to point to someone beyond himself, someone greater than himself, much greater than himself. He didn't feel worthy even to be the slave. He's not gonna go calling himself Elijah. John knew from his early childhood that he was special. He'd been born to parents too old to give birth. He knew that his special gift was to call people to repentance and to point them to someone greater than himself. 
much greater than himself. People are streaming to John, not because he's a smooth talker or dressed for success or knows how to manipulate a crowd or because it's easy or convenient. It's none of these things. He is utterly penniless, but they sense that he is rich in what matters and what they need. People are drawn to John because God's Holy Spirit is using him to convict people of their sin and make them hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice, for God. And as they are repenting, something extraordinary is happening in families between generations forgiveness of sins and reconciliation. John is right. Because he, John, is a separate individual from Elijah. But Jesus is right, of course, that John is the one. As Gabriel prophesied, sent, no water today, sent in the spirit and the power of Elijah. In John's gospel, John the Baptist will be the first of many to bear witness. John's gospel is all about bearing witness to God's self-disclosure in the word. Many will follow but John will be the first. John has tremendous success. There are people coming from great distances in all walks of life to hear him preach and be baptized. He is witnessing people being humbled before God, turning from self-centeredness, families being reconciled as they ask forgiveness and are forgiven. It could easily go to his head, but it doesn't because he stays focused. He knows that it's all about Jesus, not about him. He wants people to recognize Jesus. In his words, he isn't even worthy to untie the strap of the sandal for the one for whom he is preparing the way. The religious leaders asked John who he was. In his humility, he took none of the categories that he could have taken, but only the one he gave, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. So who are we in this story? We are the people who want to be prepared. How do we prepare for Jesus? Step one, repent. It's not a once and done, but more like an ongoing thing. 
but it prepares us to receive Jesus. Step two, if we repent, we will ask forgiveness for our sins, which Jesus gives generously to all who sincerely ask. But we will also ask forgiveness of those we have hurt, and we will be open to looking at how we have hurt. And we will also forgive those who have hurt us, starting with our own family. This will not guarantee us material wealth or success. It didn't even guarantee John to keep his head. But repentance is its own reward. And hungering and thirsting for righteousness in a world lost and in rebellion against God is to be truly human. Receiving Jesus is the beginning of eternal life. Preparing us to receive Jesus is what John was all about. And receiving Jesus is why we have Christmas. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.